The reading this morning will be from Matthew 24. You can stand as I read Matthew 24, beginning in verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to get things out that are in his house. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or in this, on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For the false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to, um, to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. If therefore they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go forth. Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Who, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I'll pray. God, we thank you that you have um, revealed to us these things that are coming, and I pray that we would just live with our eyes open but fixed on you, and that we would not um, be distracted, God, even though we, we see things happening in this world that line up with the soon return of Jesus, that our eyes would be just squarely fixed on Christ, in our hearts, God, wholly devoted and yielded to you. And we pray that you would just, again, use your word, God, to just bring us to yourself and that you would have that central and preeminent place in our hearts that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, buenos dias. Patsy and I were in Costa Rica this past week, and I was hoping that all my Spanish would return to me, and it did, which I just told you. <laughs> That's about it. It's nada. Um, it's, you know, it's when you're, when you're in Costa Rica, it's interesting, they speak Spanish to you. Um, and I, I still am always surprised by that because I go, don't I look American? Um, and, and so, but I, I'm, I'm flattered by it because I like to think that I can blend into Costa Rica. Um, and I was in, um, Patsy and I were in McDonald's with a bunch of the students there in Costa Rica. And it came time for me to order. And I'm just going, how do you say McFlurry in Spanish? <laughs> and I want to sound like a Spanish-speaking person. And so and I realize after I've listened to other people, there is no Spanish translation. It's McFlurry. So good, okay? But I still want to sound it like Spanish. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay. And it actually, you know, the first part of the sentence came to me. I was amazed. Yo quiero. I want. Un. A. McFlurry. <laughs> con. Con with. Oreo. 
I made it through. I think a few people chuckling at me, but um, on the airplane, I was trying to hold a seat for Patsy because we were flying southwest and there's no assigned seats. And so I got on the plane first, paid the extra money so I could be on early and then save a seat for her. And, um, and quite a few people see the empty seat and they go, Occupadio. I'm thinking, does that mean I'm in the bathroom? <laughs> 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 and I didn't know how to, but I, yeah, is the seat occupied? Yes. Mi esposa, she's coming. Anyway, why do I say, how does that got to do anything with this? It, it shouldn't surprise us when we are in the world that the world speaks its language to us. And we do want to, as we live in this world, be able to communicate with the world without being of the world, as Jesus tells us. We're in the world, we're not to be of the world. And when it comes to end-time events, um, and what is being revealed to us here in Matthew 24 and 25, two long chapters all about end times, um, we have to keep straight that the Lord is telling us what's coming so that we would see it, and not think like the world. I'm not, as I said last Sunday, I do not at all think that we're going to be going through the tribulation as the body of Christ. But there are going to be, even, even now, as we, as we march toward that time of the rapture and, and afterwards the start of the tribulation, we will see things that are lining up that tell us that these are the days. Things that Jesus is describing here in this passage, some of these things we would begin to see. But, but most of what he's saying, if not all, is referring to the tribulation. But nonetheless, we can see if this is how it's going to be in those days in the tribulation, Certain things have to happen prior to that so that when the rapture takes place and shortly afterwards, we don't know how long afterwards the tribulation begins, we can, can anticipate, well, this is what ought to happen, should happen in order for um, these events to take place. So what that means is, is that we, we ought to have our eyes open, and even though the world is speaking its language to us that we are thinking independently of the world, but consistently with God's word. And that'll come up more as we get into the details here of chapter 24, what I, what I mean by that. But here in verse 14 is where we left off last week. In the previous verse, the one who endures to the end, it is he who should be saved. And we were looking at that, and I was trying to make the point that this is not salvation from our sins. But this is salvation from the tribulation, which is coming. That's the context for everything here. The tribulation is mentioned um, three times in this chapter, verse 9, verse 21, and verse 29. And so that's what, what these people would be saved from. And so it's not that we have to endure in order to be saved spiritually, because that would make salvation dependent upon our works, and we know it is not dependent on our works. And so then in verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. 
And this verse has, has um, been, I think, misunderstood as well. Um, and, and, and it shouldn't be. It's really not that complicated. Part of the problem is, is that every time we hear the word gospel, we think of the how to be saved, the gospel message of salvation. And that is, in fact, a major part of Scripture, the message of how to be saved. But we need to just take a step back and first just understand that the word gospel simply means good news. And there is a lot of good news in the Bible. And there is the good news that you cannot save yourself, you don't need to save yourself, that, that God has provided for salvation through Jesus Christ, and that salvation is by receiving that gift, by faith in Christ alone. That is the primary good news in the Bible. But that's not the only good news in the Bible. So there is one way to be saved in the Bible, but there is more than one piece of good news in the Bible. It's good news for us as Christians that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. It is good news that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen. And I could go on and on. There is much good news in the Bible. Well, this good news of the kingdom is not the good news of how to be saved. To be sure... You can't be part of the kingdom unless you're saved. But this is the gospel of the coming kingdom. And it is good news, especially if you're a Jew, but for anyone and everyone, it is good news to know that this world is not going to continue on as it is. And I don't mean it's going to blow up. I mean that God is going to establish his kingdom on this earth. And there will never be a better kingdom, a more enduring kingdom, than the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is why the Lord tells us, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because that would be heaven on earth. For Christ to be reigning here, that he would rule over all the nations of the earth, there would be one kingdom, his kingdom, what a glorious day that will be. And so that's the good news that he's speaking of. This is the same gospel that John the Baptist was preaching in chapter 3 of Matthew. We can just turn over there quickly. In chapter 3, verse 2, we're told that John was preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is the kingdom that he was talking about. And he was speaking to Israel, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus took up the same theme in chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he was saying to the Jewish people that we, you are right at the cusp of the God's kingdom in heaven becoming the kingdom of earth. Thy kingdom come. And that's what John was preaching, that's what Jesus was preaching, and it was a message of good news to the Jews. But they had to receive Jesus as their king, and they didn't. And so they did not see the day of their visitation, the scripture says, they missed their opportunity because they rejected Jesus, and now there's a postponement to the coming of that kingdom, 
until again, as Matthew 23 said at the last verse, that they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But this theme of the kingdom coming doesn't end, and it's still going to be preached again. When you come to Acts chapter 1, you might just flip over there in your Bibles. Our students at His Hill will be very familiar with this passage now because they had to look at it for one of my assignments. But in chapter 1 of Acts, in Jesus is, has been raised from the dead, and He has spent 40 days, verse 3, talking to His disciples. To these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is the same thing. Okay? And so for 40 days that Jesus was walking around on this earth with his disciples, he had one subject on mind, the coming kingdom of God. No wonder then in verse 6, And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And so, and Jesus didn't correct their theology. They understood the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, means that Israel is going to be the center of that kingdom, that you will be restoring the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus doesn't say, what are you talking about? Israel's not in the future here. I've been talking about the kingdom of God. You're talking about the kingdom of Israel. They're not the same thing. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't correct them in their understanding because they're accurate. They're correct. Israel will be at the center of the coming kingdom. There is a future for Israel. God is not finished with them. And so when they ask this question, good question, because Jesus has been talking about the kingdom for 40 days. But then he says in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So that so I'm not going to tell you when. The more important thing is for you to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. More important than you knowing when the kingdom is coming is for you to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want you to think about. And that's what he leaves them with before um, he's resurrected. So the gospel of the kingdom is, the, is a good news message. There's only one message to be saved, and that is not the gospel of the kingdom message. But it is nonetheless good news. And this kingdom message was especially for the Jews, but not exclusively for the Jews, because this will be a worldwide kingdom that encompasses everybody on the planet. God um, promised, to be at the, promised Israel that they would be at the center of that kingdom, and he also has made it very clear to us that Israel would be the ultimate primary vehicle for communicating that kingdom to the world and that it's coming. And so they aren't right now because they rejected Jesus. God is using the church to spread the gospel of salvation. The church is not spreading the gospel of the kingdom per se. Now, if you're talking to a Jew, then talk about the kingdom. But if you're talking to anybody else, again, talk the language. And so if you're talking to a Jew, talk the language of kingdom. And say, we believe with you that, there is, that there, the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. That the kingdom of God is going to become the kingdom of the earth. We're with you with that. 
Do you know what has to happen for that to take place? Well, one thing is, you Jews need to recognize Jesus is your king. That's what the scripture says. So you can, you can talk the gospel of the kingdom to a Jew. And we would be, but you have to introduce them to Jesus for that fulfillment, that hope to be fulfilled. But the church, we are here to preach Christ and what it means to have life in him. That is the gospel of how to be saved, not the gospel of the kingdom. His kingdom, obviously, is not here yet, or it wouldn't have to be preached. You see? And so I understand, and it doesn't upset me, when I hear people say, you know, God's kingdom is spreading. And so every time we hear about, you know, God's opening up new doors in some country where the gospel hasn't been there or hasn't really been established, you go, God's kingdom is spreading. And I know, I appreciate the sentiment, but it's not truly accurate. The kingdom is not here yet. And it won't be here until Jesus comes again physically and literally to the earth. So the king is in our hearts. And so there is a spiritual sense where he is in us. Well, then he is reigning in us. So his kingdom is in us. That's as far as I would go with that. His kingdom is not on earth. It is still coming. That's why the, the gospel of the kingdom still needs to be preached. Because it's not here yet. This is why Peter, in his second sermon in Acts chapter 3, and he's preaching again to, Jew, to the Jewish audience that was there in Jerusalem. And he's telling Jews again, just as John the Baptist, just as Jesus did, repent, he says. In order that, and his language was, in order that times of refreshment might come to us from heaven. And he's speaking about the millennial kingdom of God coming and being established on earth. And Peter believed, rightly so, that if in his day... Israel had repented and believed that the kingdom would have come at that time. He took the Matthew 23 prophecy literally. Jesus says here that this message is to be, to, is, is to be spread. It is not here yet. We know from the book of Revelation that the principal witnesses, evangelists of this kingdom coming will be the 144,000 Jews 12,000 from each tribe. It is not going to be accomplished by the church. That doesn't mean we should not be witnessing. Hear me correctly. But our message is not the message of the kingdom per se. It is the message of the king, Jesus Christ. And we, even should we, as the church, evangelize every single man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. That is not going to bring Jesus' physical kingdom to the earth. Israel has to say, Jesus is king. And when that happens, and in addition, as Israel is coming to Christ and they are witnessing, they are going to witness of the kingdom and, ipso facto, the coming of the king to the entire world. And God will once again use Israel as the main channel for redemption for this whole world. He is not using them now, but they will be back again 
in that place where they are the main means that God uses to see the gospel of the king, kingdom spread throughout the whole world. So the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. So this is not a message only for Jews. It is, it, it, it is especially for them, but it is not exclusively for them. It is for the whole world. Now, this is going to be at the same time, don't let this be lost on you, that this is going to be at the same time that the Antichrist is seeking to establish his kingdom throughout the whole world. So you can see how, how treasonous this message would seem. This is like Athaliah being on the throne in the Old Testament, and this seven-year-old boy... Josiah, not Josiah, um, Joash is put on the throne and she's ripping her clothes saying treason because there's a king here. And so this would have been viewed and will be viewed as an extremely treasonous message. It is a, not just countercultural, it is counter to the entire government and system of this world because 144,000 Jews are going out and saying this isn't the kingdom. And so they're undermining. That's how they're going to be viewed as enemies of the state. As they are undermining, they're giving misinformation. Can you, you can just hear them being said? Accused of giving misinformation because they're undermining the message of the state and saying that there is another kingdom coming. Get ready. The real king is going to show up. The end is the end of this present age or as is often also called in Scripture, the end of the time of the Gentiles. They are no longer going to have um, um, continued freedom. God's going to bring it to an end. The end is not cataclysmic climate crisis. The end is not nuclear war. The end is not the elites of the world reducing the world population to 500 million as they are on record saying they want to do. None of those things are going to happen, folks. The end comes when the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the whole world. We are not going to end civilization as we know it by climate change. We are not going to end civilization by nuclear holocaust. And we are not going to end it by any other means. The end of this present time comes when the gospel of the coming Jesus Christ and his kingdom has been preached by Israel to every nation. And Israel, at the same time, is turning to Christ. And then the Lord says, when those two things are done, Israel turns to Jesus and Israel, the 144,000, are gone out and they've preached the coming kingdom with this king to the entire world. That's when the end comes. Amen. Doesn't mean it can't get bad until then. There will be wars and rumors of war. There will be famines and there will be earthquakes. And some of those things we will see begin to happen. They are, they are not the tribulation. Jesus is clear on that. They are not the tribulation, but we will begin to see prior to the tribulation some of these very things. But that is not the end. 
The end is the physical return of Jesus in judgment, accomplished by the Jews. It will not be accomplished by the church. But again, we ought to be making disciples. We ought to be um, sending missionaries out into the world. But we need to be clear-sighted with it that we are not going to be the instrument that God uses to see the kingdom of Christ come to the earth. Now, he's not done yet. And then he says, okay, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Abomination of desolation. What on earth is that? I used to think it was my daughter's bedroom when I would walk in. This is the abomination of desolation. It looked like nuclear holocaust. Like those old pictures of the atom bombs that had been dropped. And I go, oh, wow. How could one person do this? Should I keep going, Andre? Do you want me to stop? <laughs> but that is not the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is something that Daniel introduced to us, and that's why Jesus said which Daniel spoke of. And there are, are three or four places in the book of Daniel. I won't read them all, but in Daniel 9, 27, Daniel wrote, and he says, and he, this is speaking of who Paul called the Antichrist. Actually, John calls him the Antichrist. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. He's called neither of those things by Daniel. But he says, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. The many is Israel. The one week is seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years into it, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one is, the, is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. And then in Daniel 12, many will be purged, purified, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. That's going to be important as we come later in, the, in Matthew 24. But those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting another 45 days and tains to the 1,335 days. And then Paul speaks of this same individual, and he says, Let no one in any way deceive you. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So that's what this person's going to do. He's going to stop the sacrifices of the temple. He is going to defile the temple. He is going to take his seat as God and demand worship in the temple. And then in Re Revelation 13, this person is mentioned again. And he says, they worship the dragon, this is Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast, who is the Antichrist. So during this seven-year period of time, they are, people are going to, the world religious system, whether they call it or not, God calls it Satan worship. 
Satan worship. They will worship the dragon, Satan. And he gives his authority to the beast, the Antichrist. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? This will be a, a world ruler who is able to wage war with him. Who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months, as three and a half years was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and every nation was given to him. So he will be a world ruler. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. And so this ruler is a bad character. There will never be anybody else as bad as him. And when you see him fulfill what Daniel prophesied, that he's in the temple, defiling the temple, claiming to be God, speaking blasphemous, arrogant words, then he says, you know there's only three and a half years left. And it's getting bad. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out of the house. So you can see the focus here is Israel. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are a child and those who nurse babes in those days, because it's going to be hard to run. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter. What has that got to do with anything? It never gets that cold in Israel. But it does rain in the winter. And all those dry gullies become raging rivers. And it's going to be very difficult to get out of Jerusalem, especially Jerusalem. Or a Sabbath. Well, how does that affect travel? Because everything shuts down on the Sabbath, and it's going to be very hard to travel, to get out of Israel, especially out of Jerusalem, when he is in Jerusalem, this Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, setting himself up as God. For then, once he does this, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. The whole seven years is tribulation. But once this guy breaks that covenant with Israel, and he being inspired by Satan, he is going to turn all of his energies to kill every single Jew on this planet. Because he believes the prophecy is literal. Until Israel says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus is not going to return. And he doesn't want Jesus to establish his kingdom because this guy's kingdom is what's going on right now. And he doesn't want anybody to destroy his kingdom. And so it will be a great tribulation. Some would say this has already taken place. There are people, their, their view of eschatology is called preterism. And it's a very minor view. It's become more popular in the last um, couple decades when I was in seminary studying eschatology, I very clearly remember the professor saying, preterism means everything, all the prophecies of Scripture were fulfilled by 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he said, nobody believes it, so let's move on. Well, now lots of people believe it. But one of the flaws of preterism, one of the things that they have to work around is this very clear statement here, 
that a great tribulation such as the world has never seen nor ever will see is coming. As bad as 70 AD was, it was nothing like the Holocaust. 11 million people being, were killed, 6 million of them Jews. And as bad as that was, it'll be nothing like the last three and a half years of the tribulation. It will be such as the world has never seen. Be truly bad. Why did God tell us about these things if we're not going to go through it? One, he wrote these things, said these things, so that those who do go through would understand. Now keep this in mind. Go back to verse 15. What's that last phrase? Let the reader understand. Let the who understand? The hearer? The listener? The reader? That's a significant clue that Jesus was not talking about near events, but things that are going to happen in the distant future. Because Matthew hadn't even been written yet. But let the reader understand. And it could be that the reader has to understand because there are no Christians left to tell them. They're not going to be hearing the gospel preached because the church is taken. But they will have the Bibles. And they can turn to Matthew 24 and go, this is what we're living through. Another reason I think that the Lord has given this not just for this generation that he's describing that are going to go through this, but for our generation in this way. By simply knowing what's coming, as I was, was making mention of at the beginning of this sermon, by knowing these things, we think differently from the world. We know that this world system is under Satan, who is the God of this world. See, we know this. Does that, that, that doesn't sound crazy to us, that Satan is the God of this world. Step out of this building today and say it to somebody in Bernie, and you're going to sound loony. But see, we know this. We, we know where everything is headed. We, therefore, ask questions. We don't just take the party line. We don't just assume because our government has told us it must be true. Because we know this world is under the, the system of Satan. He is the God of this world. And so Christians are inclined to think about what's happening around us and not just assume that it's okay, it's right, because we know where it's headed. We think independently of the world, at least we should, and consistently with the word. We don't automatically, mindlessly accept government protocols, government edicts, government values, government pronouncements, or government education. Because we know who's in charge of the government. And it's not human. It is satanic. It is Satan himself who is the God of this world. And so as a Christian who's told what th where things are headed, we know that we shouldn't be thinking lockstep with this world because this world is anti-Christ. We are aliens to this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. It is not on earth. 
And so it may be flattering when the people of this earth walk up to us and treat us like one of their own. Like when I'm in Costa Rica and somebody speaks Spanish to me, I'm flattered by it. But I am not Costa Rican. And when it comes down to it, I am not American. That is a temporary thing. I am a Christian. I am a child of God. And my citizenship is in heaven. And as much as I may love my country and love Texas and even think it should be its own country, it, it is all under the God of this world, Satan. And the day is going to come in Texas where everybody who's alive during this time is going to worship Satan. Is it any surprise that we would be moving in that direction now? No. And so when you see that the whole world government is going to be lifting up the devil and his beast, the Antichrist, it should not surprise us that the steps prior to that are going to be his steps to get him where he wants this world to be. And so we must be thinking people who have our eyes open, and we don't just assume that everything our government is telling us is correct. And even they, though they may accuse us of misinformation, I read recently, I forget which country it is, is talking about, or maybe it's one of the states, I forget, is talking about passing a law prosecuting doctors for misinformation. Misinformation being what the government, some message other than the government has sanctioned. No freedom of speech, no freedom of thought. Why would that surprise us? Satan is a totalitarianist. He wants to control everything we think, say, do, where we go, how we travel, how we spend our money, all of it he wants control of. And that is what's going to happen. That is where this is headed, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to get really ramped up after the rapture takes place, but it's not going to happen overnight. I really thought we'd get to the end of the chapter today, <laughs> at least a further along. But I, I hope you see that there is relevancy to these portions of Scripture that talk about events that we are not going to personally experience. It is relevant, obviously, for those generations, that generation that will experience it, but it's relevant for us as well, because if nothing else, this is very clear to us. What's coming, and that we need to not just blindly accept everything that our government authority tells us. That would be foolish. A great tribulation is coming. Quickly, verse 22. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Clearly, the salvation there spoken of is physical salvation. And it's not, again, um, and, it, and, it, and, and the point being, I'm trying to find a quote here from Dwight Pentecost. He's not cutting, he's not bringing the three and a half years to a close sooner than three and a half years. His point is simply 
If that three and a half years didn't come to an end, as he has said it would, there would be no life left. Every person on this planet would be dead. So as Dwight Pentecost said, Christ promised that the tribulation would be cut short. The phrase cut short can mean to terminate. In other words, if those days with their awful judgments were allowed to continue indefinitely, the human race would be totally destroyed. Not by climate change, but not by nuclear holocaust, but by God's judgments on this earth. But Christ pointed out that God will allow that period to run its course, but will terminate it according to his timetable so that a remnant will be spared. The elect here are those that are saved, principally speaking of the Jews, because Israel is the elect nation of God, the chosen nation of God, and they are the elect people of God. But it would refer to anyone else who is saved during that time. Until then, we pray, Lord, come quickly. But we also pray, make us bold to preach Christ to a lost world that is deceived. A lost world that does not understand what we are marching toward so quickly. And I pray more and more, God, open my mouth, make me bold to preach Jesus in these days. Now let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, that in every day until Jesus returns, we can remember him. As we did this morning with communion, but I pray, God, that it is as Todd exhorted us that we would be partaking of him each and every day, seeing him as our food our meat, our drink, our very life. And that as Paul exhorted Timothy, that we would remember Jesus in all that we do every day. And God, make us bold that as we remember Jesus and focus on him in his soon return, that we would also speak clearly, God, with conviction, with grace, with wisdom, wherever there is an open heart. And we pray that you would open hearts and that, Lord, we would be faithful laborers to enter into the harvest that you have prepared. In Jesus' name, amen.